Man, my word of welcome. We're delighted to see everyone today. Glad to have those who are worshiping with us online. Always glad to have you. Listen, Laura and I are so glad to be back home. We've been on vacation. Did you notice? Yeah. We were gone. There were three Sundays there, and man, we had good preaching. Bill Small preached, and Cameron preached, and Carmen preached, and Farrah preached, and man, I'm so glad to be back. You know, I got back at the first service, and people said, what are you doing here? <laughs> and I got to tell you, I was a little unnerved by that, because you know, when you go on vacation, and you're the preacher, and you come back, and all these associates been preaching, they do such a good job, and they said, what are you doing back? I said, wait, 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 just a minute. I, did you even notice I was gone? I've been gone for three weeks, you know. It's time for me to be back, so I'm glad to be here. Now, listen, the first Sunday I was gone, the power was off. Did y'all hear about this? There was a storm. Did y'all see that? And Bill Small, what a man. He's just a pure man. You know, Bill's got a big truck, got a big truck, and he's a real man. Did you know that? If you didn't know, he'll tell you, okay? Well, Bill... He, uh, he got up. He didn't have any power, but he had power. You know what I mean? And he just got up and preached and did a great job, and everybody came up. And they said it was such a sweet service, such a powerful service, such a great time. So I'm just thankful that folks, we, got, we, we really do have a wonderful, wonderful staff here. There's a wonderful group of people here, and, and they're a blessing. They really are. You know, and, and it's a team. We really like each other. We hang out together even when we don't have to. We do. And they even let me tag along sometimes and you know we have a great time together and then we got some great lay people great leaders here and great people in the church it's a blessing and let me tell you every time I go away I'm always glad to be back home now real quick real quick I want to sum this up we went on vacation Lake Martin Alabama we, we rented a house got a boat took my family out my extended family they'd been to the lake but hadn't been out on it I took them out we had a blast my kids came on the weekend my granddaughter we had a great time up there spent a little time at our house in Birmingham you know we have a house in Birmingham we bought it to eventually retire. We got it with low interest rates when we could get into it. And so people say, well, why did you get it now? You're not, are you going to retire now? What are you doing? What's going on? Hey, talk to me. I said, well, no, we're not ready to go yet. You know, I pray every day. I don't want to leave one day early or one day late. I'm just, because here's what happened. When I almost died a few years ago, about three years ago, Laura came to me after I got well, and she said, when you went in the hospital and they told me it could go either way, I didn't have a car or a house right? Because she had totaled our car, right? She totaled. She ran into the dumpster behind Publix. It was a great big dumpster. Let me tell you, those things don't give, okay? And she hit that sucker, and she came home to me, and she said, go check on the dumpster. The dumpster's fine, baby. It's your car. It's like hitting a tank, okay? And I wasn't through with that car. I'd only been driving it 18 years. I had two more on it. It only had about 250,000 miles. I was not through. I had a plan. She didn't stick with the plan, okay? So we got her a car, right? And then we 
found a house. We prayed about it. We said, Lord, now we know we want to retire in Birmingham. We want to be close to our kids. Grandkids want to be up there all together. We want to be where we can run up to Tennessee and see family, get to the lake, get down to see Auburn play football, run up and watch Tennessee lose. I mean, I'm a Tennessee guy. You know, that's we've just learned to live with it, right? I'm a Tennessee fan regardless. Okay, but my money went to Auburn, so I pulled for that with my daughter going there. And then we want to be snowbirds. We want to come down here to the beach and just hang out at the beach in January and February. So you may not get rid of us completely. But what I want you to know is we got a good interest rate. We, we prayed. We, there were four houses we didn't buy. It didn't work out. We said, we know Jesus wants us to buy us, just not right now. So we just waited. And then the door opened and we found the one. And so we got it. We got the house. But we're not in any hurry to leave. Don't, don't misunderstand that. Now, I got to tell you real quick. We're sitting in Birmingham and we're sitting in that house. And I've told you before, it's just got some stuff we had in storage in there, right? Our daughter comes in there and she sees these boxes we got for end tables. And she says, y'all look like um, squatters. That's what y'all look like here. And so we're sitting in there. We're watching TV. It's Saturday night. It's the first Saturday night that I'm off. I don't know what to do with myself because I'm used to preaching all the time. It's Saturday night and I'm not nervous or anxious. I don't even know what day it is. We're sitting there and Laura says, you hear those birds? I can't hear anything. And I said, no, baby, I don't hear any birds. I knew we had a nest out front. She said, no, this is out back. I said, okay. So then well, I'm sitting there, and then boom, something happened. Two birds fell down out of the chimney right into the fireplace in front of us right there. Well, they took a look at us. They got a little shook up over it, and they took off, went flying all over the house right there. So we shut the bedroom doors. Now, we just put drapes and plantation shutters and some stuff in this house, okay? Thank the Lord we were there when this happened. So what we did was we went in there, and we shut all the other doors. Then we opened the front door and the back door. And then Laura helped me a lot. She put a, a blanket over her head, and she screamed a lot. That was her contribution. It's what she did for me. Thank you so much for that, baby. And she handed me a broom and said, go across the room and take care of this, okay? So I go over there. What am I going to do? So I get this broom, and I'm getting this, trying to get this bird out. Well, the birds stay up on the ceiling, but they won't fly out. They won't come down to go out the door, you know, and I don't know what to do. Then she has an idea. She did help me this way. She goes in there, and she gets one of our granddaughter's little bath toys, okay? She says, Collins has a little net that she uses in the bathtub. She get, And when I say little, I mean little. I got this little handle and this little bitty net, okay? I want you to envision this. This is your preacher, okay? So there I am with the net, and I've got the broom. Got they got to have the broom, right? <clears throat> I go over there, and here's a bird on the cabinet, and I take that net, and I finally get it on, because first I'm just trying to shoo it out nothing. Now I've got the bird, and now I take the broom, and I, I've got it trapped, right? So I go to the back door. We go out on the deck. I let the bird go. I release the bird. He's free to fly. Okay, I say, shut the doors. So then we're looking for the other birds. We think, well, maybe it just flew out. We can't find it. It's gone, okay? So we go to bed. We go to bed, and then Laura, don't be getting ahead of me. So then Laura, <laughs> Laura says, um, hey, I hear the bird, because I can't hear it. So you go, oh, okay. So once again, I got the net. I got the broom. I know what to do. But now this bird is seeing what happened to his brother. This, <laughs> this bird, this bird's not going to be as easy. He's hiding. He's down behind stuff. He doesn't come out as easy. He's hanging on because he doesn't know what this means. Finally, I get him in the net. I put the broom. I take him out. I go to the back deck. I let the bird go. It's free. I shut the door. Now we got to do something because the fireplace we know it doesn't have a cap on it we've got to have that fixed right okay but we don't know about the damper we don't know because this house was built in 68 but they've redone the whole thing but who knows right so you know the mechanical guy that i am 
my wife has a toolbox, okay? So I'm a Mr. Break It, not a Mr. Fix It. So we get some boxes. We got all these boxes because we got stuff we hadn't taken stuff out. We got this box that's about this thick. It just comes across, and it's huge. And we put it up against the fireplace right there, okay, to block it off. And then we put these other boxes that have books in them. We shove those up there. So we've got it, we got it blocked off now. The birds aren't coming back. We say, do not move these boxes until we take care of the chimney. Okay, so that's what happens. So now we go to bed. And I lay down. You know I'm a preacher. Did you know? Did you know I'm a preacher? So I go in there and I lay down and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm reflecting on this. All these people at Woodlawn in Panama City have been saying to me, well, now that you've got a house in Birmingham, are you going to retire and, and are you going to serve a church in Birmingham? Well, I don't know. I hadn't gotten that far. I just bought the house. I know God wanted me to do that, but I'm not to that yet and I'm not in any hurry to get there, so I don't know. But then the Lord answered my prayer. That night, that first Saturday night we were on, he, he gave me a new flock. <laughs> he, did, he gave me a new flock. He should, but that's not the best news. Both of my newest members got saved that night right there. <laughs> you can't make that up, can you? Now, we're talking about big questions and real answers, and I want to get into this. I want to talk about, we've had some great preaching on this series, and I want to talk about it. Theodore Roosevelt read a book one time that was written by a newspaper man in New York. His name was Jacob Rees, and the book was titled, How the Other Half Lives. Now, you know, Roosevelt grew up with a silver spoon in his mouth. He had plenty of money. He never knew what it was like to see poverty. He, he really was insensitive to that, and he knew it. He read this book, and it was talking about all the vice and all the crime and all the poverty and problems in New York City, and he was just brought to tears over it, and he wanted to do something about it. And so he went down to the newspaper. He wanted to see Mr. Reese, and he was not in that day. And Teddy Roosevelt took his card, and he wrote on the back of the card, he wrote this note to the newspaper man. He said, have read your book and have come to help. Isn't that a great response? You talk about a motivated response. Have read your book, and I've come to help. You know what? What would it be like if you and I, every one of us, said that to God? Lord, I've read your book, the Bible, and I've come to help. I want to do my part. I want to use my gift. I want to share. I want to be a witness because it's not just about me being saved. It's about other people being saved as well. It's a motivated response. Roosevelt saw a need. And he acted on it. You know, Jesus calls his disciples to action. He doesn't just want us to think about it. He wants us to pray, but he doesn't want us to stop there. He doesn't want us to ponder and talk about it. He wants us to do something about it. You know, Jesus had just fed 5,000 people plus because it was just the men they counted. It could have been 15,000 with women and children. We don't really know. And here's what he says. He's fed all these people. It's been a miracle. And he says to his disciples, I want you to get in the boat and go across the sea. Galilee, I'm going to go over here and pray. And that's what he did. And we've been to Israel a couple of times. And when you go, it's about 14 miles long, that lake, and it's about seven miles wide. And storms pop up on it today, just like they did in the Bible back then. And you can go there, and the Bible comes alive when you get out on it. And so that's what they did. But as they're out there on the, on the lake, a storm comes up, and the disciples are afraid. And they're out there. But Jesus continues to pray. And it's later on that he comes to them. And we'll look at this in Matthew in just a minute. And it's later on that he comes to them. H have you ever prayed about something? 
and ask God to speak to you and come to you and do something in your life. And then you said, God, why aren't you answering my prayer? Why aren't you coming now? I'm desperate. I need help. Why aren't you coming? God has a reason. He has a reason, and he has perfect timing, and he always comes. But he comes in his perfect time. He's never early, and he's never late. I can tell you from from experience, that's the truth. That's what he does. And so that's what he did with them. He came at the right time, and his timing is always perfect. Now, this fourth series, this fourth sermon in the series, Big Questions, Real Answers. That's what we want to look at today. So what I want to talk about, we're going to answer the question, why did he doubt? Why did Peter doubt? And we're going to be looking at Matthew, the 14th chapter. We're going to look at 22 through 31 together. Are you ready? Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat, go ahead on of him, go on ahead of him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already in considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because of the wind that was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately... Jesus reached out his hand and he called him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Now, just before this, Jesus has been there. He's been performing a miracle. He's been feeding thousands of people. The disciples bring the problem to him. We got all these people. It's getting late, no place to eat. What are we going to do? And so he finds a little boy with just a little bitty lunch, and he takes those five loaves and two fish, and he feeds thousands and thousands and thousands of people. I mean, I want you to think about this today. If you had 15,000 people, how would you feed them? Long John Silver snack pack? I don't think so. And that was the equivalent of what he had, and he just multiplied it. And every time he gave it to the disciples, it, they just went out, and it just kept going and kept going. And finally, they gave so much away, then everybody was full. They couldn't eat anymore, and they, they picked up. He said, go pick up the less, what's left. And they pick up 12 baskets full of food after it was over. He had seen a miracle that day. That's, there's no doubt about it. It was a miracle. And then he had seen Jesus walk on the water. And then he had seen himself walk on the water. But the circumstances of the day caused him to look away, and he got scared. Now, the disciples are out there on the boat. He's walking on the water. They're afraid. But he says, why did you doubt? And, and what he's saying to Peter is, come out here and walk in the deep water with me. Come on out here and walk on the deep waters of faith. That's where I want you to live your life. I want you to come. And he's saying that to you and me today as well. He wants all of us to do that. But Peter took his eyes off Jesus. You ever do that? You ever take your eyes? You ever get distracted in the world? You ever look at circumstances around? You ever get afraid? You ever worry? You ever get anxious? You ever think, why doesn't God come through for me? Why won't he answer my prayer? I don't understand why he doesn't react. He doesn't respond. What's going on? What, what is with his silence? 
But Jesus comes at the right time. Now, there are at least four things that we can learn from this particular sermon today, at least. And the first thing is that Jesus sought them. We see in verse 25, he says, Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. You see, Jesus is looking for disciples. He's still looking for disciples today. In fact, that's what he does all the time. He's just looking. He's praying to the Father on our behalf. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. And he's always hoping and praying and seeking people that are far from God. Because let me tell you, there's a lot of people far from God today, aren't there? There's a lot of people who don't know. He doesn't just save us for us. He saves us for a purpose. He saves us to share our faith with other people. However we can do that, whatever gift he's given us. You know, here, I want you to write this down. 2 Chronicles 16, 19. 2 Chronicles 16, 19. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth to show himself on behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. You see, what does he do? He takes us and he makes us new and he gives us a new heart and he makes our heart perfect. And what he's saying is, I didn't just save you for nothing. It's not over. It's just starting. I've, I've given you a perfect Now I want you to help other people get what you've got. And so you can spend the rest of your days. Let me tell you about my life. Let me tell you, I was lost as a ball in high weeds. I didn't know Jesus. But then somebody talked to me. Somebody told me. Somebody cared about me. I'm going to spend the rest of my life, when I get the opportunity, I'm going to tell people about Jesus. And that's what we want to do. Jesus sought the disciples. He's still seeking today. Several years ago, an Eastern newspaper tells the story, true story, of a woman who was driving her car one night. And as she was driving along, she noticed a big 18-wheeler was just following real close to her, behind her. And she didn't know why. And it made her nervous and anxious. And she sped up and the truck sped up. Finally, she pulled off the interstate. She went around by a traffic light. That truck ran the red light and followed her. She was in a panic. Now she pulled into a gas station, scared to death, jumped out of the car, ran inside, yelling for safety, for help, somebody to come along. The truck driver pulled into that parking lot, jumped out of his truck, ran over to her car, opened the back door, and he pulled out a would-be rapist from the back seat. There was a man hiding on the back floorboard. From his vantage point in that truck, he could see that guy down there, and he knew he was up to no good. The woman was running from the wrong person. She didn't know that there was a guy trying to save her. She was running from her Savior. You see, the chase for her was not to harm her, but it was to save her. And he was even willing to risk his life so that she might be saved. Sometimes we run from God. Sometimes the devil puts in our mind that we need to be afraid of God. We need to get away from God. We can't respond to God. Don't, don't give your life to God. Don't be the person that he's calling you to be. But God says, my plans for you are for good, not for evil. I love you. I want to save you. I want to bless you. And what he's trying to do, he's trying to expose the hidden sins in our lives that endanger us so. When Jesus went to the disciples, you know, they thought it was a spirit, a ghost, and they cried out in fear. Jesus still comes to disciples today. Sometimes we fail to recognize him, but he still comes. 
Sometimes we get impatient when he's not there on time, but he still comes. Sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that he is the enemy. But, you know, we blame him for our problems, but he still comes. And Jesus is seeking disciples today. And today he may be calling you to receive him. Today he may be speaking to you. His spirit may be telling you today's the day. You've been listening, you've been watching, you've been waiting, you've been sitting back, but now's the time for you. You don't think that I can save you, but I can. You don't think that you're worthy, but listen, I can make you worthy. I can make you righteous in my eyes. All you have to do is surrender to me. He can come. Jesus was seeking them, and he's seeking you and me. He sought them, and he's still seeking us today. The second thing we see is that Jesus spoke to them. It says in verse 27, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. I heard about a little boy in church, and he was supposed to be in a church play. He had one line. He was scared to death. He didn't know if he could say it. He practiced and practiced, but he was sure he would blow the line. All he was supposed to say was, fear not, it is I. And he practiced over and over and over again. But sure enough, on that night, he got up in front of all those people, and the lights were on him, and the crowd was watching, and his mind went blank, and he couldn't remember that little line, fear not, for it is I. And he just blurted out the only thing that came to mind he said to the whole group in the church that night folks it's just me and I'm scared to death <laughs> now before you laugh too much let me ask you a question does that describe you because listen apart from God it's natural to be afraid but with God all things are possible there was a novice mountain climber. He was climbing the Alps. He had a guide in head of him. The guide was taking him up. They were going to the summit. As they made their way up very carefully, the novice was not knowing exactly what to do, but he just watched the guide in front of him. Finally, when they got to the mountaintop, the guide moved to the side, and he allowed the novice to see the view of heaven and earth from the summit of the mountain. And when that happened, the novice was so excited, he started to stand up on the Alps. But the experienced climber grabbed him and pulled him back down. He said, on your knees. You're only safe here on your knees. Our relationship with God is a lot like that. Apart from him, we're insecure and we're afraid. But when we stay on our knees, surrendered to his presence, it invades our lives. And the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit reassures us and helps us to know that everything's all right because we're with him. Jesus spoke to them, and he speaks to us today. A third thing is that Jesus showed them. It says that he said, come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water, and he came toward Jesus. You know what I love about Jesus? He didn't just talk to us from heaven. He came to earth in the form of a little bitty baby that was so, so easy for you to love. It was nothing defensive about that. And he came and he showed us what to do and how to do it. And he spoke to them. He showed them. You see, Jesus showed Peter how to walk on the water. He actually did it it before he allowed Peter to come and, and he put that in, uh, thought in his heart and Peter asked can I come to you and then Peter got out and he walked on the water because he had seen Jesus do it you see like Peter we got to respond and take action there comes a time when he's calling us and he's just giving us one word come come and then we have to decide am I going to do it or not one day a wild goose was brought down by a hunter's 
gun. Fortunately, it just winged him. One wing was wounded. He landed in a barnyard, and all these domestic animals, the ducks and the geese and the chickens were there, and they were startled by this goose falling down out of the sky. But as they got to know him, they wanted to find out, well, what's it like to fly? We've never flown before. Tell us about it. And the goose began to proceed to tell him about the glories of flight and how wonderful it was soaring in the wild blue yonder and how everything looked like a little speck down on the ground from that vantage point. And they were so impressed by his speech that they started asking him a few days later, hey, would you come back and tell us about flying again? That was really interesting. I've never heard that before. And so he did. Well, pretty soon it got to be a regular thing and they liked it so much, they even built him a little box to stand on so he could stand up and tell them what it was like to fly every week. But you know, even though that happened, none of those domestic fowl in the barnyard ever tried to fly for themselves. They just listened. And even the goose, once his wing was now healed and he could fly once again, he never flew again. He just spent the rest of his life talking about the glories of flight, but he never actually did it again. If we're not careful, we can be guilty of the same inactivity in our faith, taking it for granted, but never sharing it with other people. Do you remember the late Irma Bombeck? I used to love to read what she said. Irma Bombeck said, I went to sleep one night and I started dreaming and I dreamed that all the volunteers in the land had left and gone to another country. And there were no volunteers to answer the phones at the hospital. And there were no volunteer clowns in the children's wing. And there was no voice to read to the blind. There was nobody to push people around in their wheelchairs. And there were no children in church nurseries. There were no choirs or music or worship, there were no activities for adults. And alcoholics and prisoners and shut-ins and the poor cried out in despair, but nobody came. And then Irma Bombeck said, I woke up never to complain again when somebody asked me to volunteer. How about you? When's the last time you stepped up to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Let me tell you what goes on here in July. We got people who volunteer to work in the nursery here, but guess what they do? They have the audacity in July to go on vacation. Can you imagine that? And then there's nobody there to take their place because there's no backup volunteers. And so we don't have anybody to look after the children. We have to scramble around and find somebody in the month of July while these faithful folks are on vacation to go in there and do that. Let me tell you something else. Hospitality back here. We got people who do hospitality. But in the month of July, sometimes they have the audacity to go on vacation. And there's nobody to do that. I mean, it's a terrible job, right? You got to hand out coffee and water and good food to people. They hate that. You know, nobody's going to want to do that kind of a job. You know what? Could it be? It's a lot easier to stay in your comfort zone. But could it be that Jesus is looking at you today? That he's speaking to you today and he's saying one word, come. Come on, come to the nursery and volunteer in July. Come back here to hospitality and volunteer. Get outside of your comfort zone and do something you've never done before. Do it for somebody else. Look at how I've blessed you. Look at how other people have served you and blessed you. Would you do something for somebody else? Because stepping up into the unknown is a challenge. But Jesus still calls his disciples today. And guess what? He shows them how to do it. He showed us, didn't he? He showed us what it means to live on this earth. He showed us what it means to die for other people. He showed us, and then he says, now look, ball's in your court. It's up to you now. 
I want you to reach people for the kingdom. And, and it might be the only way you can do that is to work in the nursery or volunteer in hospitality, but so be it because that frees somebody else up to do something else. And God uses all of our gifts in different ways because we're all different. That's the body of the church, the body of Christ. And he uses us so that his will might be fulfilled. Jesus showed them. The last thing is he saved them. It says in verse 31, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and he said, he called him. He said, you of little faith. He said, why did you doubt? Jesus still saves disciples today. You know, it's through our failures that God comes closest to us. When we have the worst failures, the biggest struggles, it forces us to turn to him and depend on him more faithfully and to see him work in our lives. It's been in those times in my, in my most difficult moments that I've grown closest to God. In 1915, Winston Churchill was in charge of a military expedition that turned into a bloody calamity. And it was so bad, his whole life collapsed, and he was forced to resign from the cabinet. A biography about that period of his life was later written, and it was entitled The Rise to Failure. But you know what? That failure caused Churchill to grow. And it planted something inside of him that made him more determined. And through that difficult time, it gave him qualities which became instrumental in his life during World War II to make him the allied leader that he became. And aren't we thankful that he did? I'm a big Churchill fan. But until he refocused his life, he was a brilliant failure. Did you know that Henry Ford forgot to put a reverse gear in the first Ford that he built? Did you know that when he built it, he built it inside this building, and it, there was no door big enough to get the car out of the building. The first thing he had to do was tear the wall down to get the car out. How'd you get here today? Aren't you glad that Henry Ford finally got all that worked out for us so we don't have to walk everywhere? You know, we may fail, but it doesn't have to be the end. Peter failed, didn't he? But at least he got out of the boat. At least he walked on the water. At least he tried. He did more than anybody else. There's no other disciple that say, you know what? After Peter, I got out of the boat and I walked on the water too. But you know what? He calls us to walk on the water of deep faith. He calls us to step out and walk with him. And Jesus had done everything in Peter's life he could to build up his faith. And then he comes to him. But unfortunately, Peter's like us. He's human. And, he, and he, the distractions and the different circumstances. And he looked away in fear came, and then right on the heels of fear came doubt, and Peter began to sink. It's easy for us to look at that, but I can relate to Peter because I'm not immune from those same kinds of fears and doubts. There have been times in my life when Jesus has looked at me and says, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? But then he's always done something marvelous in my life. And you know, I don't think Jesus got mad at Peter. I think he just helped him. And then he just continued to encourage him. And what happened to Peter? He became a tremendous witness for God. He gave his life for God. He was a witness to the end. He said, you know what? I'm going to spend the rest of my life not being a coward. They can kill me, but they can't stop me. And I'm going to serve my Lord for the rest of my life. And that's what he did. Despite his failure, immediately Jesus rescued him, and he rescued him for a purpose. When we allow fear to come into our lives, we wonder, can Jesus save me? And the answer is yes. And then in verse 31, we see that he reached down, he helped him, and he saved him. And, and what a powerful thing that is. Did you know that Jesus will always be there when we fail to pick us up? 
Martin Niemöller was a survivor of a World War II concentration camp. He was invited to speak at Boston University after he got out of the war, and there were all kinds of students and faculty, and there were a lot of reporters there that day. And as the, 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 some, uh, as he finished speaking and, and it was all wrapped up, the, the reporters were walking out, and there were two reporters walking beside each other. And one reporter looked at the other, and he disgustedly said, all those months in a concentration camp, and all he can talk about is Jesus. The reporter didn't get it, did he? It was Jesus who got him through the concentration camp. Listen, once you've been desperate, once you've been without hope, once you've had no way to be saved, and Jesus comes along and delivers you from your despair and your hopelessness, then you can't help but spend the rest of your life telling everybody you see about Jesus. Despite our failures, he loves us. Despite our sins, I'm a sinner saved by grace, but Jesus makes me righteous before God. And Jesus, you don't have to listen to the enemy who says you can't do it. You're not worth it. There's no way it can. He's an accuser. You listen to the truth of the Lord. He'll tell you the truth. And then finally, verse 32 and 33, it says, And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Those who were in the boat worshiped with him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. I want you to notice two things about that. First of all, when they got in the boat, the winds died down. Jesus is in control. He's in control of the wind and the waves. He's in control of whatever storm you're going through in your life. And when, they, when Peter and Jesus got in the boat, the other disciples looked, and the second thing was they knew they were in the presence of God. Have you ever had one of those experiences where it was a take your shoes off your own holy ground type experience? I have. And I know you have. Times when you were just, it wasn't one of those things where you just celebrated like that. It, it was a thing where you just kind of were humbled and, and you got down on your knees and you were so faithful and maybe you got down on your face because of what God had done in your life. And, and Peter, Peter had experienced that. He had experienced denying Christ, but he later he experienced the, the renewal of being with Christ and seeing past that time and not living the rest of his life in failure. Now listen, I got one last thing and I'm going to quit. Several months ago, several years ago, I was minding my own business, just doing my job here at the church. And I'm usually in my office, but I went up to the front office. I never do that, but I was up there. And this guy came in. He was standing there out in the hallway, and he came up and started talking. And he said, well, I went to the, I'm on vacation. I'm a preacher, because that's what preachers do. When they're on vacation, they visit other churches. Did you know that? They do. And their wives and their kids go, oh, no, not again. He's going, you go ahead, honey. We'll be here when you get back so that's that's what we do we go and so that's what he did he came to see the church he walked around he looked at it, took a tour saw the whole thing and then he started talking to him we got to talking i kind of noticed he had a little bit of an accent and he noticed my i said where are you from he said i'm from tennessee i said really i'm from tennessee i said where in tennessee are you from we talked some more he said i'm from mcminnville tennessee I said, I I'm from McMinnville, Tennessee. Really? I said, well, where's your wife? Oh, she's from Tennessee. Where, where is she from? In she's from Tracy City, Tennessee. My wife's from Tracy City. Are we related? Is this possible? Then we talked some more. We found out that we both had adopted daughters. I mean, you talk about a divine appointment. I'm going, okay, you have my attention now. So we had a good visit there together, and he's visiting and talking to me. Well, he went home. 
he sent me a book he'd written. He sent me some more stuff about the church he serves. He serves a church up in Georgia. And so I wanted to know more about him. We kind of kept in touch. And then I said, I want to go by and see his place. I told him I was coming that way. He said, I want you to come. So Laura and I went up. You remember last fall we went up to the Cove in North Carolina? We told you about it, Billy Graham's Cove. And we came back. That's the time to go in the fall. We came back. We went out of our way to come down to Milner, Georgia. Y'all know Milner, Georgia, don't you? You've been there, haven't you? Milner, Georgia. I mean, everybody knows Milner. Atlanta, Milner, right? Right there in the middle of nowhere, this guy's serving a church. And so I, I go see his church. And when I get there, I go and I look. Now, what I see is this huge campus. We get off and we drive down this big road and then we get on this country road and then we go back on these other country roads and finally we pull up and I see this huge campus, this big campus of, and then they take us out on the golf cart because it's so big, and they show us around. They go to the back row. We go across the road. They got some more stuff back there, and I'm going, wow, what's going on here? I go back. He's talking to me. He said, I've just written a book. The book is called Defy the Odds, and it's my autobiography. And he said, I'm going to send it to you. It's just about to come to print. I'm gonna send I said, I want it. Please send it to me. So he did. He sent it to me, and I read it. And I got to tell you, when I read the book, I was moved to tears because when I read it, I was so impressed and blessed by what God has done in his life. He was almost aborted as a baby. He grew up in terrible poverty and abuse, but God redeemed his situation. Not only did he save him, but he called him into the ministry, and today he serves that church up in Georgia with multiple campuses and thousands of people in worship. When he went there over 30 years ago, it was a little tiny country church with a cemetery beside it. And now you won't believe all the growth that they've seen. And there's all these towns around it, and people are coming from all over. And he's been a chaplain for the legislature in Georgia, and now they're going to name the parkway the Dr. Benny Tate Parkway, going up to his church there to make it easier for me to find next time I go. <laughs> and I want to go visit Benny. And so Benny wrote this book, and I gave it to my mother, and she read it on vacation. And my sister read it on vacation, and Laura's reading it right now. And when I read that book, two thoughts came to my mind. I want to share them with you. And the first one is this. Don't ever underestimate what the Lord can do in your life. I got to tell you, there have been many times in my life when I've been underestimated. I've underestimated myself, and other people have too. Don't ever underestimate because the Bible says with God, with God, all things are possible. He can take any situation, any time, and do anything He wants to do with it with anybody, okay? Second thing is this don't ever underestimate what the Lord can do in somebody else's life. Don't look at people and judge them. Don't sum them up and put them in a box. Don't do what we all do because there's no telling what God sees when he sees that person. And he's looking at the heart. And if he's giving you a perfect heart, what's he going to do with it? He's looking to and fro all the time. He's looking for somebody like that so that he can help find some more people like that. Go out and show them, teach them, live with them, walk with them, help them, bless them, pray for them, be there for them, make a difference. And instead of embracing, you know, he could have had doubts about what God could do in his life. He could have listened to the enemy and thought, I'll never amount to anything, but he didn't do that. He didn't, he didn't listen to the accuser. He listened to the truth of the Lord. 
And the Lord said, you know, I'm going to work in your life to do powerful things. I'm going to use you to reach people for Christ. And I'm not going to reach just a few. I'm going to reach a whole lot of people for Christ. And I'm going to use you to do that. And you're just going to be my instrument. Because you know what God's looking for? He's looking for availability. He's looking for people who are obedient. He's looking for people who will say yes to God when he says come. He's looking for people who won't look at fear and circumstances and doubt. They won't look at the things around them, the things that worry them. They won't look at staying in their comfort zone, but they'll say, yes, Lord, here I am. Send me and let's just do it together and then be a blessing to somebody else. He's here today at the 1015 service. He's sitting right here on the front row. He and his wife, Barbara, and her Aunt Ruth are up here with Laura. And after the service, if you'd like to come by and meet him, I hope you will. I ordered a bunch of his books, and I'm going to have some, and I'll get some more. And if you want to read his book, I hope you will, because it was a blessing to me. It was a witness, because it was, it was a blessing about God. That's what it's all about. And, and what a blessing it is. Now, listen, this is the last thing. Sometimes we read the Bible, and we think, well, yeah, Peter, okay, but he was a disciple, and he's in the Bible, right? I'm not in the Bible. I don't know anybody in here who's in the Bible. So obviously, we don't measure up to those people in the Bible. But God wants us to realize I took ordinary people, and I did extraordinary things through them. And I still do it today. I'm still working in people's lives today. I'm still blessing people today if they'll respond, if they'll take action if they'll say yes when he says come. Today, I hope the Holy Spirit has convicted you. I hope that he's calling you to do something that's outside your comfort zone. I hope that he will make you miserable until you do it. I do. Don't do it for me. You do it for him. You know, I told you, they printed shirts years ago in Navarre, Florida, when I was serving that new church over there for 20 years. And they said, we're going to print T-shirts. Just say no to Joe. And I said, that's fine. You can say no to me all day long. But on the back, you've got to print as long as you say yes to Jesus. Amen. And when he says, then you got to deal with him. Ball's in your court now. I hope that he'll make you miserable and you will do it, even if it means you've got to volunteer in the nursery in July. Even if it means you got to work in hospitality, if you got to do something to get outside your comfort zone. When I moved to McMinnville, Tennessee in the sixth grade, they took me in there and they said, we want you to light the candles today. And it was a big downtown pipe organ, high steeple church, and I was scared to death. I was so nervous about it. My daddy took me fishing at Center Hill Lake all day on Saturday the day before. I was scared to death. And we didn't have enough money for two acolytes at this church. We only had enough for one. And I went in there shaking. And the choir and, and the choir leader was back there, and they lit me up. And I went out, and everybody's depending on me. We can't have church till I get the candles lit, right? And I get out there, and I put that thing on that first candle, and nothing happened. And, I mean, I stood there, and I tried to get that wick out. And, I mean, and then it went out. It went out, y'all. The flame went out. And I didn't have a lighter in my pocket. Well, there wasn't anything to do but go back where I came from. So I went back out again, and I was mortified. I was purple. I was so red. I was, I was ready to leave and never come back. I was new in town. I'd messed up in front of God and everybody. I didn't want to do anything. You know what they did? They lit me back up. They said, you got to go back out there again. I said, I don't want to. They said, you got to. You're the only one we got. 
So I went back out there shaking it. Well, meanwhile, some guy went up and he worked on the candles and the other guy worked on the wick on the lighter. And I got out there and I finally got those candles lit. And I lived to tell about it. And you know what? It wasn't the last time God asked me to do something that I was scared to do. Wasn't my idea. I didn't want to do it. I certainly did not want the exposure. I didn't want everybody looking at me and listening to me. And when he called me to preach, I'll never forget, I thought, the last thing I'd ever want to do is be a preacher. You got to talk every Sunday. I don't have that much to talk about. Obviously, I didn't know myself as well as you do, right? <laughs> But you know what? He said, yeah, I want you. I said, you know, there's other people, Lord. There's other people. There's so many people. Five guys from my home church went in the ministry. Get one of them. You don't need me. You got plenty. He said, nope, nope, I want you. What's God saying to you today? You don't have to be a preacher, but God's calling you. He's looking for you. His eyes are going to and fro all the time. He's looking for somebody with a heart with a heart for him. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you work today, not just in lives for people in the Bible, but you work today in our lives. You're real. You're powerful. You're the only true God. You're the only God. You're an awesome God. Lord, today I pray that we might know you, we might walk with you, we might love you, we might serve you, and we might do something we might do something outside our comfort zone. If you call us to do it, Lord, you'll give us the way to do it. And so I pray, Lord, that we would hear you, but we wouldn't just think about it and talk about it. We'd be obedient. We'd be faithful. We would take action. We would stand up. We would step out on faith, and we would walk and follow you. The Bible says those who have ears to hear, let them hear. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's children said,